Well, good morning, friends. My name is Steve, and I am glad to have you with us this morning. We are embarking on a sermon series called uh, The Free Methodist Ways, Five five Values Shaping the Free Methodist Identity. And uh, we do this uh, out of a deep sense of uh, joy, a deep sense of joy because I believe, uh, while no denomination has a corner on the market, uh, I believe that our our leadership has seized on some uh, values that we can find deeply embedded biblically, not just what they want to create. And so it's, it's with great joy that, I, uh, that we embark on this series together. So if you're not familiar with the Free Methodist uh, denomination, uh, through this series we may give you little uh, peeks in Uh, to it and uh, some of the names that we may share uh, you may not be familiar with but uh, we can we can definitely fill those in as time goes on since our meager beginnings as free methodists in 1860 in in new york with bt roberts and others we have been and have been and are first and foremost a kingdom people building on the legacies of john wesley and B.T. Roberts, but always discerning where God is moving today, our identity is shaped by values that are both historical and aspirational. Of the many values we hold dear, five you will be hearing about over the, these next five weeks lie at the heart of our movement. The first one is life-giving holiness. Second, love-driven justice. Christ-compelled multiplication, cross-cultural collaboration, and God-given revelation. We view them not just singularly, uh, but as a whole. They work together in a necessary balance. In a time of rising polarization in our nation, as a denomination, we resist the pull towards both fundamentalism and theological progressivism. Uh, Not out of a spirit of compromise, my friends, uh, but a radical commitment to what John Wesley called the middle way, which I would contend for you is harder to live. It's harder to live, period. doesn't matter whether it's today or it was when John Wesley. To live in that middle ground is difficult. It is a path that takes both takes the whole gospel seriously and continually calls us to a both-and convictions, which is very difficult sometimes to to walk into in an either-or world. We call it the Free Methodist Way. So today we will be leaning into and learning about life-giving holiness uh, to be able to live out the way, uh, to live out the love of Jesus, the Jesus way. Now, when you think about holiness, this is probably the passage of Scripture that kind of reverberates in your heart if you've been around the church at all, and it's from Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. I mean, it reverberates from that moment Uh, from that moment all the way through the New Testament into today, this idea of being holy. As we follow Jesus, we're called to be holy Uh, into that that thing that we call life-giving holiness. Uh, 
and I think you may be able to see it in the next few minutes. Yet, while I believe that you'll be able to see it, I think it's been hard for us that have been around the church a while to grasp. So I, I just want to bring up uh, a little bit from my past to give you an idea of the confusion that can ride in this idea of holy and holiness and a term that John Wesley used his entire sanctification, but really what he meant is holiness. So when I was a younger kid, we would have Sunday evening church and up here about, not in this church by the way, about four rows from the front, uh, a husband and wife would sit. And while there would be maybe a little bit of Bible study and preaching, there would also be a time of singing and testimonies interspersed with that time. Maybe some of you remember those times because they were pretty common. I remember uh, this gentleman every so often, not every week, but every so often, he would, uh, he would, sp- he would speak. Uh, the, the interesting thing is, I, I will have to admit, is during those testimony times, I saw just a, a wonderful display of love. So oftentimes there would be stories about uh, how God had met people through the week or that month or even that year. And oftentimes there would be some other opportunities for prayer to uh, a prayer request where the community that would gather on those Sunday evenings would say, oh, let's stop. Like in your small groups, you say, let's stop and let's pray about that because this is important to us. Just such life-giving ways of living. But every so often this gentleman would stand up and he would share with us that he was saved on a certain date. I can't remember the date, but he would repeat it. And that he was entirely sanctified on a certain date. And if you've not been around free Methodism that long, that's fine. But those were key words of like, he's holy. That there has been some attaining of holiness in this individual. And in my reckoning, in my understanding, that meant that he was without sin. Absolutely none. And so this is what makes me scratch my head, even as a little kid looking at this individual. Does that mean this person doesn't do the, new, the big sins that we would all claim as big sins back then and maybe even now? And you fill in the blank. Your mind's already filling with them. Or the really s- small sins, right? You know, you have big sins and small sins, right? Why are you laughing? Exactly. I mean, what does this mean? And what, what, what does it take on? It just didn't make sense to me. It's just confusing at best, I think. But we, we, we look at Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, and we see that God says, be holy as I am holy. So what is holiness? Uh, quickly, but not very deeply, I will admit. Holiness... In, uh, is really this idea of being unique and different than. So if you think about God, he's not like any other, and that's where we kind of have to get our definition. He is like no other. He is not like us or anyone else that we can imagine or think about. He is powerful. I mean, when he spoke, what happened? Things were created. There has been none like that ever. And if that is the case, and he spoke, and things came into being, and life happened, now life is important when you think about holiness. The term life is vastly important. He became the source of life. 
So when God does something, he's about bringing life to it and giving it sustenance in that way. When, in, when the, One of the first times we understand that a person in the Bible came across uh, God's holiness was when Moses encountered the burning bush. Do you remember that? And maybe you don't. It's kind of a strange phenomenon. Moses thought it was kind of strange too. He'd seen it from afar off and it's this bush that was just lit up. And it didn't burn to the ground. It just stayed lit like a candle. And so he began to wander over to it. And when he wandered close enough, the Lord got, I mean, Lord already had his attention, but he got to a certain point and the Lord says, take off your sandals, Moses. This is holy ground. This is one of the first times that we see that God, that holiness is directly encountered by a man in scripture. But then our minds, if, if you're doing a reading plan through the Bible, I just finished the Torah, I think, yesterday. And your mind goes, wait a second, what about Leviticus? What, what, what's up with that? That's exactly right. That's all about God's holiness. His desire to bring life out of death and vastly confusing to most of us. I get it. But that's ex- his desire was to bring life. And so what we see is not only uh, a Leviticus where there's offerings made in a temple, but that we also have his holiness. God's holiness is contained within a temple. It's contained within a space of and a place, not spilled out everywhere. And because of this, there was grand fear. I mean, Scripture talks about the fear that they had of God and the power and the powerfulness of God. Yet, because of this rendering of Scripture and not seeing the whole of the context, we often misunderstand God's holy and his call to being holy and his call for us to be a holy people or, uh, well, if you will, to be life-giving. I love Calvin Samuel's book, Distinct, where he quotes Ruth Etchells in his, in, in his desire to write in this book to grasp holiness from a little different angle than maybe some of us are used to. He, she, she spoke this at a, uh, giving a sermon She said, holiness is actually the shining dazzle of the profoundest divine love exchanged continually within the Trinity and poured out for creation in all its forms for our deepest and most joyful good. That is not the definition, as you can tell, that I had of holiness when I was a kid. Dazzling? Yeah. Burn you up. Right? Uh, Exchange of love? Well, maybe, but more like a set of rules as far as I understood. Joyful good? Okay, I guess. But I think she's right. I think sometimes we've missed it. I, I mean, holiness is a little suspect of it. Maybe a little suspicious of it right, of like being called into holiness for many reasons. But one of them I think is preeminent for most of us, and it's this, our desire to live the way we deem it's best for us. Our desire to live the way we want to live and what we think is best for us. That may be the first and foremost, and I think that that's probably the leading edge for many of us, 
If God's calling us into holiness, it's probably calling us away from what we want to do or what, is, what we think is fun and good and right. But if we truly understand if Ruth is right, which I think she is, that it may be, our, may be in all its forms for our deepest and most joyful good, we have to reconsider the call to holiness. And not only the call to holiness, but the opportunity to live life-giving holiness for the world in which we live. Miriam Swanson speaks directly probably to this a little bit. She says this, we need to grow out of our bashful teenage questions of how much can I get away with and still be saved and begin to really take hold of the better question, how free in Christ can I be? Oh, friends. Are we trying to live on the edge? It's not where Jesus will find you. I want to illustrate the idea of holiness with a story that we probably are very familiar with. And if we're not, we're going to become familiar with in the next few minutes. But we probably do not see it from this aspect of life-giving holiness. It's found in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, starting with the fourth verse, it is Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. It is a beautiful, beautiful display of God's life-giving holiness He says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now I have to stop there. Uh, If you know anything about this passage of scripture, if you know anything about the Samarians, uh, Samarians and Jews did not hang out together. You're going to find this out a little bit later. And had to, not at all. Had to from a spirit standpoint, absolutely. But had to from from a journey path that we usually walk on? No, in fact, his disciples are probably wondering, why in the world are we walking this way? But you need to hang on to that. Because had to is part of our vernacular. If we're life-giving, if we live in life-giving holiness, it is part of who we are. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near a plot of ground, uh, ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, uh, I didn't read the front part. He had already sent the disciples in to get food. They were hungry and said, you go get it. I'm going to sit down at the well. He had to sit at the well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Now, friends, we need to frame this. This is holiness in its purest form. Not staying away from, but entering into. Not staying away from, but entering into the space of those whom, well, the world around you or the religious order says, eh, maybe you shouldn't. It's not good. (laughs) How can you ask me for a drink? As it says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. He's fully human, fully divine. He had to walk through Samaria. I mean, we have to keep putting this back into our brains. We have to keep allowing it to saturate to our hearts. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God who who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Can you imagine sitting with somebody who has greater knowledge than you and then being, uh, not realizing what, what is before you? It's like, uh, you know, if you need some money and you're sitting with Bill Gates and forgetting to ask him for a little cash. I don't know. Uh, or whoever you think it should be in that. I mean, this is what's happening. Jesus speaks to the woman and if you only knew 
what was possessed, what he possessed, you would have asked him for something. Jesus' desire in his life-giving holiness is to relieve the woman from the burden she's carrying and allow her to live, not die. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us, this, gave, a, gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and life, his livestock? But Jesus answered, yeah, we tend to get into these situations where there's a theological discourse that wants to take place, right? Jesus wants to liberate the person. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this, this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, revealing. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and, I, and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, remember what we sang earlier because it's coming true here. He told her, go and call your husband, come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say I have no husband. In fact, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you, are now, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus speaks past the surface of her need for, his need even for water, if you will, and her need to give him water to... Uh, to a need. I mean, she's there in the heat of the day, which that's not when women went to draw water. You go early in the day when it's light, when it's uh, cooler. Jesus wishes to give life-giving holiness. Life-giving holiness is the grace-filled invitation to living water, and this is what Jesus wishes to give to her. Uh, the invitation does not minimize truth about the situation. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff. The holiness of God exposes the disordered desires of our lives which lead us to death instead of life. Jesus is our doctor for the sickness in our hearts. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with the teachers of the law, the Pharisees? They questioned why he was eating with tax collectors. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. It's his desire to do the heart surgery so that one can live free, truly free. What is her response to the invitation to drink the eternal well from the eternal well? Verse 19 says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Still trying to figure out, wait a second, how does he fit? Where does he fit into my theological framework or church world? Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, Holy Spirit, by the way, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. Jesus is rewriting the rules of where and how worship will take place. He not only is rewriting the rules about that, but he's rewriting the rules of engagement 
Think about it. We see it all over the Gospels, and this is just one example. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Jesus is giving away his holiness. He's just giving his life away. He's pouring it out. It's not held in the temple. It's not held behind a set of rules, but it's, it's held within who you say Jesus is, if I may. It goes on. Then, Jesus, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. You see, life-giving holiness is intimacy with God where you extend invitation to God, of God to others. See, that's what happens when it, got, when it poured, out, poured itself out from Jesus to the woman at the well. She said, I can't contain it, and it's not to be contained. It is to be shared. It's like our kids will be learning a little bit later today that when you're, when you're baptized, it's, it's your it's your public declaration of saying, saying to the world, I've been baptized and I'm willing to share it with anybody and everybody who comes in contact with me. This woman lived it. I love, again, Miriam Swanson for the goal. Holiness is not being renamed but reclaimed in these days when we desperately need God's spirit to transform us. Set us, set up us apart, set us apart, and make us free and make us whole. This woman had been engaged in encounter with Jesus and Jesus exposes her heart. But guess what she did? She lived out James right for us. Confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. She did it to the whole town. Look! Do you think the town knew who she was? That she lived probably not in the good district of town, but across the tracks? That she was known? And she runs back into town going, hey, look at me. I'm free. Doesn't matter what you think about me. Doesn't matter what you say. truth the truth of God reveals and exposes incredible thing is this is what happened skipping a few verses to verse 39 many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony I mean she's no longer hiding she's no longer trying to you know to slink into town and out of town she's declaring he told me everything I ever did. Samaritans are like, who is this guy? So they came to him and they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see, when there's life-giving holiness, when life-giving holiness flows from God and, yes, through us to others, this is what transpires. 
There is a, there is a, a life that wishes not to hide but be declared before everybody, no matter what it is. Healed and whole. I don't know what happened to the woman at the well, and I do not know what happened to the, the men and women and the children who came out to, or came out and begged him to stay with them and heard the story and began the way of Jesus. But what I do know is that holiness does call us into an undivided devotion to living the way of Jesus. We, we not only know this, uh, we, we, we know this from other places and passages of Scripture. It's that place where maybe in our past we've gotten a little skewed, but out of a, out of a sincere heart towards rules, but it really is we have to live a, a life that is undivided in its devo- devotion to the way of Jesus. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, right? I mean, he makes that clear. But it's always been about his, his desire to bring life, not to constrain you or me. The woman at the well understood this because she experienced it. She had an encounter with Jesus that, if you will, blew, her, blew the doors of her house off its hinges. There are no more doors, if you will. Our lives will when we live this way, we'll also declare our desire for God's holiness that declares Jesus as the Messiah, Lord and Savior, in all of its ways. It is unique. It is powerful. And it is a source that he wishes others to experience through you that brings life by the Holy Spirit. So how does this happen? So what, what do we do if, if it's an undivided devotion, if we see that Jesus poured out his holiness to create life in otherwise uh, dead-end lives, how does this come about? Well, before we move into there, I, I want to read you a statement from our book of discipline. If you were just to happen to the library and pull up a book of discipline for the Free Methodist Church, you would find this statement in there. But I think it speaks directly to what we've already read and speaks to where I'm going. Sanctification, or can I just put in there, and you can write it in there, life-giving holiness, is that saving work of God beginning with new life in Christ, whereby the Holy Spirit renews his people after the likeness of God, changing them through crisis and process from one degree of glory to another and conforming them to the image of Christ. As believers surrender to God in faith and die to self through full consecration, The Holy Spirit fills them with love and purifies them from sin. This sanctifying relationship with God remedies the divided mind and redirects the heart heart to God and empowers believers to please and serve God in their daily lives. Thus, God sets his people free to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbor as themselves. I think you can see this, this, this statement in our book of discipline, if you will, in the story of the woman at the well. Jesus brought heaven to earth. The life-giving holiness was poured out. Jesus brought life to this woman, and because of that, she loved her neighbor as Jesus had loved her by telling them the truth 
about who he was and who she had been, but now is. But I still think that many of us kind of had this mm, struggle with holiness and life-giving holiness. Calvin Samuels, in his book Distinct, talks about it in regards to white pants. Let me go here with you. God is holy, yet our call to life-giving holiness is not me trying to be squeaky clean. Because I think that's what many of us have thought. I cannot be. Holiness is not something I can possess because holiness is God's. It's not mine to possess. It's holiness he gives when I live undivided. It's only when I spend time with God and get caught up in the Holy Spirit, then and only then am I being made holy as he is holy. You hear me? So white pants. Let me just tell you about Calvin Samuel. He's a principal. He's the principal at London School of Theology and is also a Methodist minister who shared this illustration. When wearing white pants, have you ever, anybody wear white pants? Anybody looking forward to wearing white pants? Yeah, see, that's the thing. We, we don't, you know. Wearing white pants, we have to be careful where we sit, don't we? If you were to go into my mom's house, it's not my house, but in my mom's house, you'll see that I actually wore white pants my senior pictures. And the pictures were outside. Can you believe? I mean, I was like, all right, make sure that you know, nothing gets uh, dirty so it shows in the pictures. But that's exactly right. You don't go to a, you don't go to a hot dog uh, festival with white pants, right? I mean, mustard and ketchup. I mean, you're looking to kind of go, whoa, how can I keep them clean? Can I tell you that I think that that's how we think about holiness? It's something we attain and then we have to keep squeaky clean. We have to, we have to work and try to keeping it clean. He goes on to explain that maybe it's, maybe it's not white pants is equal to holiness, if you will. But, but maybe, maybe, maybe if, if we understand it correctly, holiness is actually the bleach that made the white plant pants white in the first place. And that is the work of God in and through us. If this is the case, then wouldn't we want to just pour out this bleach wherever we would go, whatever we would touch? I mean, that's exactly what Jesus did. He poured himself out. You ever pour bleach on something and it splattered up? Jeans, sweatshirt. I think I have a few, uh, a few pieces of clothing, right, that are bleached. It's very powerful. Uh, they're changed from that moment on. What if holiness is not so much something that you attain, but something that you live to give? I mean, can you imagine it? I mean, it's to be shared. And the more you give, the more you, if you will, get. I think this changes I think this vastly changes, and I love what he did in his book, Distinct. The call of God in Leviticus 19. To be holy as I am holy. This is changes how we think about it and how we go about it. We're able to go to dark places and dark spaces and culture because we have, if you will, if by the power of the Holy Spirit, the bleach that changes everything, We no longer have to be scared of those spaces and places. We have life-giving holiness in us if we are followers of Jesus. For those of us who are rule followers, it's, it's easy to kind of follow rules, right? By going to the speed limit, if I don't swear, don't chew, all those kind of things, then I've got to be good. 
I think we need to change it. Friends, and I, I think Ipsy Free needs to change it from this idea of something we can attain if it was even something you wanted to attain. And I can tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you wanted to attain holiness in some way, shape, or in some measure. But I think the way we go about it is changing the way we do it. Because if we live it outright, we can change our families, our workplaces, our conversations, the way we handle money, what we do and where we go. Those things will just naturally be bleached and we'll go, oh, I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to do that. I want to be peculiarly different. But not because of a set of rules, but because of the life-giving holiness that he's poured out on me and through me. I need to look distinctly different, if you will. Since being holy and life-giving holy, holy, holiness is about being in the presence of God, how are you doing? See, it's all about being in the presence of God. If we've been in the presence of God, then we have a desire, we have this growing desire, no matter how small it may be, to become more like Jesus. If you don't, we need to start there. Has it become a checklist for you? as it has in different times for me, how's that working for you? <laughs> Gets gnarly, doesn't it? And I don't mean good gnarly, I mean tough, gnarly, like pulling, you know, like, it doesn't. It's, it, it breeds death, if you will. I don't mean to be snarky, but I'm sincere. Simply a checklist won't make it. Or have you become liberal in your application of God's desire for you that he states he loves you and you're just good with it? But you have no desire to grow closer to Jesus. See, life-giving holiness, the, the call to be holy as I am holy is this desire to, to grow toward, to be in relationship, to be in his presence, to want to talk with, to want to read about, to want to move in that direction. Because if, if it's just a ticket to ride, some of you have heard that from me recently, if it's just, oh, I'm okay with God and he's okay with me, I actually think you're missing the point there too. I'm not here to say whether you're a Christian or a not a follower or you are a follower, but I think you're missing something in the process of what God desires to give to you and the way he wants you to live. Miriam Swan, uh, Swanson's quote goes into the place here. How, <laughs> it's not how close we can live to the line of not doing what God wants, but how far can we go with him to be free? So give, your, give yourself in your mind a, a score between one to seven. Uh, give yourself a score of how you're doing in your desire to be in God's presence, his holy presence, a one to seven. And now I'm going to ask you uh, next question, and the Spirit maybe prompted you to put one there and go with it. What will take you to the next number, to seven? Seven being perfect, by the way. What will it take you from a five to a six or from a three to a four? Here's some practices placing us in the presence of God. Simply prayer. Uh, spending time talking to him. Silence and solitude, and we're not talking about the empty of the mind, we're talking about sitting with God in his presence, asking him to talk or to be with us if you want. Uh, community, 
uh, both in big ways and small ways. Big and small ways. Because those you hang with help to encourage you to love Jesus more. And that's our desire in our groups. What about simply going for a walk? And there are so many other ways that this can happen. I mean, we can go through a list of things, that pra- practices that place us uh, in the presence of God. But how are those coming? Or does Netflix, does going out to eat, do those things stand in the way of practicing being in the presence of God? Since being holy and life-giving holiness is about giving it away, how are you doing there? You see, Jesus demonstrates to us it's not something we keep, it's something we give away, and we have to be in the presence of those who need it and need us to be around to give it away. And that doesn't necessarily mean those who are uh, not yet followers of Jesus or those who are followers. It means both of them. So let me just encourage you here. Serve. Serve. Serve your faith community and serve your world. If you're not engaged in serving in a way that allows you to give away your li- the life-giving holiness that he has put in you, then you're short-sighting your growth in Jesus. You're short-sighting the holiness that he wishes to spill out into the world around you. Simply, you, could, you can do this in so many ways. We have ministries here, but it may just be as simple as who's your neighbor? And do you know their name? If you don't, get to know them. Let me put it this way. Can you imagine taking holiness with you? Less concerned about what could get you dirty about around the world and into the spaces you work, play, and home where you could pour out Jesus, this life-giving holiness. Those places and spaces you realize need to move from death because when you walk in, you smell it, you feel it, you know it's not healthy, it's not life, it's, it's actually moving towards death, it's moving towards decay and destruction where they need to hear you speak truth and bring life-giving holiness that Jesus wants you to do. I think we're called to do this. We're called to live out the holiness of God by the Spirit of God.